0: to everyone who has joined us at the Humans at Work podcast run by the Being More Human team and a massive thank you to Mark Fitzgibbon this morning coming in from NIB and Mark is going to have a conversation with me around all things to do with the leadership, culture and the future of work. This will take us about 20 minutes so if you are outside doing something or using this podcast while you might cook your dinner, we hope you enjoy and, Mark, we might kick off just by you doing a formal introduction of yourself, um, and then we can get into it.
1: Mm. All things about leaders, leadership and the future of work in 15, to 20 minutes, Michelle.
0: I know. <laughs> How, can we do it? <laughs> right.
1: Okay. Well, my name's Mark Fitzgibbon. I'm the Managing Director at NIB, the NIB Group. Um, yeah, we've been around the Hutter, Newcastle, for a long time, almost 80 years now, and today we cover about – a million and a half people are across Australia and New Zealand and other parts of the world. We have, uh, in addition to a health insurance business, uh, a, a travel insurance business. We employ about 1,600 people uh, today, uh, mostly still in Newcastle. They're spread out across the country and uh, New Zealand and China where we have a business and Cork in Ireland where we have oh, a, we? A, a business as well. So, um, And we're listed on the Stock Exchange uh, these days, having been a, a mutual business for... Most of our uh, history, and um, you know, life's very exciting.
0: Excellent. So we might kick off with um, what do you think you have had to do differently as a leader as a result of adapting your behaviour to the COVID nineteen challenges?
1: I don't know if I've done uh, things particularly differently in the way I'd normally behave as a leader, Michelle. Except I'm at home rather than in an office, so my location's uh, changed. But I think the the central tenets of um, leadership have been applied during the crisis, you know, forming your view about possible future scenarios and how we're going to adapt or cope with those scenarios and putting in place mechanisms, you know, crisis-style uh, mechanisms which are about protecting our business um, commercially, you know, about protecting our members, uh, about protecting uh, our employees and uh, being able to move know, rapidly the changing um, circumstances. So you know, we already have a we already have a management team which meets you know two to three, for two to three hours every Monday. So we, we we manage the company as 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 a team. And I guess COVID-19 had us coming together almost every day, as mm-hmm. any other form of crisis uh, would. And you know, thankfully that's starting uh, to dissipate. Uh, hopefully, the worst is uh, behind us. But I think the the key. Leadership and management attributes that apply generally, uh, you know, apply in a crisis. It's just that everything becomes a little bit more poignant and accelerated.
0: Yeah, a bit more intense, isn't it? Yeah. So, what intense did you notice, is a good word. What, what did you notice the most in terms of your people? Were they responding differently? How are they feeling? Oh,
1: well, look, I think it's I think it's mixed. So certainly, um, a lot of our people responded to the crisis, like you know. Maybe, maybe there's maybe me and others are a bit a bit of a psychopath. I don't know, but I kind of, you know, nobody celebrates the mis- misery and disruption that's been COVID nineteen not for a second. But um, you know, when the going gets tough, the tough gets going. Pardon the cliche, and you know, I, I certainly get excited about the cha- you know challenges that um, I put uh, in front of me, uh, as I think most of our people do. That said, you know, I, uncertainty. Nobody likes uncertain in their lives, and so that can create a, a, an element of stress. So, reacting quickly with um, you know measures such as allowing people to stay at home and supporting them with the technology, and um, so you know support they need. Um, communication, uh, even you know my experience in life is in a crisis. Even if you don't know exactly what's going to happen or what's unfolding, or you don't quite understand it. You still need to communicate with people um, and, you know, be frank if you don't quite understand what um, what a law looks like, um, you know, down the road. But um, I think people appreciate that. They appreciate more and more communication in times uh, like this. You know, <laughs> they they become even more nervous, nervous and potentially uh, injured psychologically if they're kept in the dark.
0: Yeah, I think that's very true. You mentioned um, when we were chatting earlier before we got into the actual recording of the podcast the idea of the new normal. Have your team given a lot of thought to what that could be like for your organisation?
1: We have. We still have a lot of thinking to be done, although I'd like to think we're uh, well advanced. Our starting premise is that we're not going back to the way things were. Um, You know, we're pretty much... Lived in machine bureaucracies under very regimented command and control structures for about 200 years now, mm-hmm. since awesome. science, science, Well, not quite 200 years, but since Taylorism and the site you know, the the um, industrial revolution, the mass um, uh, production and standardisation that came with that, and you know that that kind of um, as central world view has survived. World wars have survived, previous pandemics have survived, all sorts of crisis. And I think this time, though, there is a real opportunity. There is a real opportunity to start with a clean slate, to come up with some key principles of what we're trying to achieve in terms of the way we design work and workplaces and methodically apply those principles to every component. Uh, of our organisation and workplace. So we've done some work. And, you know, we're you know, our call to action in the business is we are not going back to the way we were. And, um, you know, if the onus in the past was, well, look, everyone works in an office or factory uh, unless A, B and C, that onus is going to shift. Everybody works wherever it suits them and only works in the office in circumstances A, B and C. So it's a, a yeah. subtle but important shift in thinking. So yeah. we've... Um, We've developed 10 criteria, which we will apply to, as I say, every part of the organisation, every uh, work team, and um, make a decision around what suits that particular uh, work team. And those, uh, look, there's no, this is not a mission to Mars, you know, the kind of criteria, you know, we want we want work design and arrangements and workplaces, which obviously support our, our members and customers. We want uh, conditions that that. That foster innovation and creativity, whatever that may look like. Uh, we want conditions that allow people to coordinate their activity, um, you know, so that on the supply chain, you know, production is is orderly and people are are, are aware of where it's up to them and their their um, their role in that. You know, we don't need to sit in the same office necessarily uh, to do that. Uh, you, we want to give people a sp- create workplaces which allow people to have a strong, strong sense of purpose and their role in fulfilling that purpose, you know, what psychologists call closure. We like to see how we fit in to the ultimate production of a good or service and meeting some need uh, in society. Um, We want to ensure that whatever we design, we can measure uh, productivity uh, and output. You know, we don't want spyware uh, across all our systems and we don't want Bundy clocks, but we still need to be able to manage people's output and, and their performance. We obviously want conditions and arrangements which protect people's health and well-being including their their, their psychological well-being um, and all those the, the need for socialization and um, esprit of core um, we want to um, uh, provide arrangements which 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 create opportunities for cooperation and, and cohesion uh, we want to create arrangements which are flexible so people have uh, uh choice. Around um, you know, around their own life circumstances uh, and needs, you know, that, you know, maybe some people work better in the evening than in the morning. You know, this idea that we should all work nine to five, you know, we think's you know, a nonsense and best left in the nineteenth century. Uh, we want to create arrangements that that, that encourage diversity, uh, inclusion, uh, and and as I mentioned, choice. And we want to k- create arrangements which are attractive to uh, new talent. retaining their talent. So, you know, they're the 10 principles that we're applying to analysing uh, all our, every bit, every part of the organisation.
0: It's much more of a human-focused approach to reinventing an organisation rather than I always talk about what you're saying earlier about organisations, um, you know, that came into existence in the Industrial Revolution were produced so they could make a widget and it was about making the widget as fast as possible for the cheapest possible price but there was zero consideration to the fact that there was a human involved in that process whereas now what you're describing is really putting the humans at the centre and understanding what that set of human as well as business needs are and putting them together. I'm interested, when you came up with that criteria how you did that was that a collaborative process where you engaged your people in what they thought or was that a management team conversation conversation or
1: yeah we workshopped it and you know we've all set ourselves a goal of becoming as informed through research and literature uh, on, on the various uh, topics um, you know so our minds are prepared in order to have this kind of um, uh, discussion you know it's interesting what, what what you say so you know for those listeners who Made me mildly interested in the management science. You know, the humanistic uh, movement, the movements of Maslow and McGregor and Hertzberg, mm-hmm. uh, you know, the the, the Y theories as distinct from the X theory of, you know, the Taylors and scientific management. You know, those theories, those, those, that antithesis to, you know, scientific management has been around, you know, for a long time. I studied at the university back in Yes, the late 70s. <laughs> um, yet it hasn't really broken through, uh, except in maybe, you know, the FANGs and some of the, you know, the sexier high-tech companies. Uh-huh. I think I think, I think think this is different. I think this this thinking is going to break through now, and one of the reasons it's breaking through, whereas it hasn't in the past, is the digital age. You know, the kind of things that we're talking about facilitating, um, you know... Uh, uh, a possible cause of technologies which didn't exist even 10 years ago.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. So with that, if, you, if you're kind of thinking of your business up until 2020 May and then your business post-June 2020, what do you expect the implications and the changes in the business to be as a result of this focus change? Uh,
1: I think we'll have, and look, you know, the, much of what I'm saying could sound a little bit idealistic to people, you know, we're, we're, we're pragmatic as well. So, for example, much of our office space, you know, across Sydney, Melbourne, Auckland, um, Newcastle, you know, some of those leases go through to, I think, won't go through to 2031. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we have to be a little bit pragmatic and it's not like we're going to be able to sublease uh, a lot of office space. So we will still have offices, but I think probably 70% of our work will occur at home and in non-office uh, uh, locations. Including people just being uh, on the road, and the offices will be the place for um, um, meeting and collaboration where, where when it's required, for socialisation when it's required, um, for board meetings and, and 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 other regular meetings. Like we're putting the same cri- we're putting we're putting our own board arrangements through the same criteria. You know, do the board actually need to meet in person yeah. every month? And it's not just about where they meet how often, and the nature of that, that, um, that interaction. So I think we still have offices, um, but their use changes. It's more about meeting spaces uh, and less about you know, um, factory-like um, conditions. You know, the best example, you know, one of the really interesting um, um, decisions we'll have to make will be around contact centres. We have, you know, being the kind of company we are, we talk to a lot of people on the phone. Mm-hmm. Both in health and travel insurance. Now, um, a lot of that will be automated in this digital age, so which means we're really left with people uh, in contact centres who are dealing with higher order issues that you know primitive machine learning you know can't as effectively uh, deal mm-hmm. with. Now, do they still need to be pulled together in an office, or can they just as easily do that in their home environment or some other? Distributed, you know, setting of 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 work, um, you know, and so we'll be analysing that. And um, certainly, the we do a pulse survey uh, every fortnight, um, and the you know the numbers are that I think thirty percent of our people don't ever want to come back to the office, and that includes people in operations like contact centres. You say thirty percent
0: because that's interesting. I've seen research that says twenty six percent, so that's spot on, pretty much
1: yeah yeah and then there's another 60 who only ever want to come in the office maybe you know two or three days a week and that could just be about wanting to escape home for some respite <laughs> yeah. so um um I, I i think to answer your question i think we're not rushing into any um, um return to work in fact I, I i don't like that description because it suggests that we're just going back to the way we were um but by next year i would say on average most people would spend and again it would depend on you know the the work and the work and the and the the business unit Um, I think on average people probably spend 30 percent of their time maybe 40 percent of their time in the office compared Mm. to you know 100 percent 12 months ago Mm.
0: and it's it's interesting to me when you're describing that because there's a really great piece of work about what people want out of work in the first place and It talks about autonomy, mastery, and purpose. And you've already covered a couple of those. And certainly the focus of your 10 criteria, um, either intentionally or unintentionally, seems to be on those three core elements, which is why what you know, what people want from work in the first place. What do you think it is going to be about your organizational culture that needs to shift to accommodate these changes?
1: That's a good question. I I, I suppose these, you know, you mentioned that famous um, trifecta of um, autonomy, mastery and um, purpose. You know, that's been deeply embedded in our business for some time. Um, You know, I'd like to think that what changes we have in mind will be be consistent uh, with the cultural settings um, we've worked hard to to achieve. so I don't see any any shifts in. Follow- I, I do see so we do know that you know the problem with this these that kind of trifecta is everyone is different, and we do know that we can generalise on motivation. Okay, we accept that X kind of theory style. Uh, uh, world view that most people are lazy and will only work hard if they're closely supervised and rewarded for additional output. You know, we, we know that's um, well and truly behind us. But um, what motivates people, you know, in this world of, of purpose, mastery and um, autonomy, you know, will vary from individuals. And I think one of our big challenges, and this is consistent with other investments we're making in the business around data science and prediction, um, I think we'll become better at predicting in our recruitment the kind of people who meet the kind of values and uh, organisational design and arrangements where mm. we're trying to create. You know, something we're doing fundamentally in our in the health uh, business is to move beyond being just somebody who's here to help you once you're already sick or injured. We'll always do that and that will be important, but we're trying to become more of a business who courtesy of you know the amazing advances that have been made in data science and machine learning um, we can we can look at Michelle the individual and by understanding her physiology biology social circumstances uh, history etc we can say well because of that and based upon algorithms written from billions of literally billions of records uh, Michelle is at risk of diseases one two three four five. Um, and if so, the best way to prevent or manage uh, or more precisely treat those diseases uh, is XY, XYZ. So, you know, we're using data science as a method to predict health risk in our members mm. and hopefully intervene to prevent that, um, that, that risk. And in the same way, I think um, courtesy of data science will become much better at predicting um, in our recruitment processes and our training and our development processes what it, what it takes. Um, to ensure that we, you know, we have the kind of cultural support for, you know, for our broader aims and objectives.
0: Yeah, I'm mean, thinking that you could um, take some of that same kind of thinking in terms of personalised health into this idea of personalised workplaces, and yeah, it's an idea that's only just starting to be spoken about. I haven't read about it too much. I've read about it in a couple of places, but. It's fascinating and and it's basically applying exactly what you're saying from someone's healthcare requirements but to their requirements about how they become the most productive version of themselves, the best version of themselves. And that's, you know, I think that's probably a little bit more down the track when there's some more AI interfaces, et cetera, that allow us to make those sort of conclusions about, about humans. But it's certainly an interesting place be in. Yeah,
1: so if we have taken a position at yeah, just using the contact centre as an example, if we've taken making a decision based on all that criteria that we're better off having our, our, our contact centre people working from home and, you know, having taken into consideration all the workplace health and safety uh, issues um, and in our recruitment process, uh, you know, we don't want to be recruiting people who fundamentally don't want that. <laughs> who who want to be in an environment where they're surrounded by, you know, other contact centre operators. So uh, we've got to make sure in the future that, you know, in our recruitment and development, it's aligned with, you know, whatever principles and arrangements we're putting in place.
0: Absolutely. So last question for you. If you could give one piece of advice to other leaders in terms of what conversations need to be had post-COVID, what would that piece of advice be?
1: Um, Post-COVID, what, having learned from COVID, you mean? Yeah. Uh, again, I, I fall back to just the basic fundamentals of management. You know, we're taking a position that, um, that you know, don't panic. Uh, let's ensure the, the ship is remains stable and, and keeps sailing, you know, around business continuity and protecting our members and protecting our staff. And let's, let's try and find opportunity in all of this because, um, you know, again, despite the the misery and suffering it's caused so many people, which everyone regrets, inevitably opportunity comes out of these kind of um, mm. crises. So um yeah, you know, I don't I I can't look back and think of anything differently we would have done. Um one of the big challenges we've had in our business is is predicting the commercial consequences of COVID nineteen and, you know, what we thought was likely to occur Four weeks ago is, is completely different to what we think will occur now. We're not completely different, but um, it, just, it just shows how uncertain things were, were there
0: for yeah, It shows how much we all collectively don't know, I think, when we go through something like this, <laughs> even if we think we're in a position of knowing, um, very quickly on the next, we can be in a position of not knowing.
1: Yeah, yeah, but don't that, that knowing is not bad, as bad as not knowing what you don't know. Like we, we 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 knew that we didn't know what was going to happen with claims in, say May claims experience, yes. but we yes. knew we knew it was going to be different. We knew we had to measure that. Um, so there hasn't been anything come up and bite us on the backside which made us think oh god we never even considered that so that's awesome. that's that's slightly reassuring
0: I think uh, we will take out of this conversation what you said a couple of minutes ago about focusing on learning and opportunity to move forward so thank you so much for sharing your approach and some of your insights and I look forward to watching your business move forward after this thanks Mark
1: thanks for sharing